Hello, CFL fans and degenerate gamblers. You're tuned into another episode of Third Down Gamble, the CFL betting podcast. I'm your host, Kyle McMahon, here again to talk all things CFL and betting. The CFL schedule is getting a little bit funky here with some early week games. I guess this is week eight or nine or nine and a half, something like that. Anyway, we're about halfway through the schedule, so we'll take a look at where everyone stands so far, what the second half outlook is going to be, you know, that sort of thing. And uh, then we'll do a quick little breakdown of the Lions-Bombers game slated for Friday night. I'll remind you that if you want to get in touch with me, sending an email to cflbuddingpodcast at gmail.com is the best way to do so. And I look forward to all your comments, feedback, and effusive praise. All right, so halfway through this shortened 2021 season, who are big winners and losers so far, and what sort of trends have we noticed? Well, it's hard to argue with what the Winnipeg Blue Bombers have done through seven games, compiling a 6-1 and record that puts them comfortably in the driver's seat in the CFL's Western Division. They've been pretty good to their backers so far, as you might imagine, going 5-2 and two against the number. I don't think there's really any argument to be had that this isn't the league's top defense at the moment. They've allowed by far the fewest points, a full field goal less per game on average than the second place team. Now, metrically, in terms of their ability to stop the other team's offense on a down-to-down basis, Winnipeg isn't actually blowing the rest of the league out of the water. Um, you know, in, in fact, in terms of... Uh, in terms of the defensive efficiency metrics, I've had the Bombers, Riders, Ticats, Elks, and Lions all grouped pretty closely together for most of this season. The Lions, I'd, I'd definitely adjust downward uh, a little given that they've played Ottawa twice. Um, I guess the Elks have played them twice now, but I, I haven't put those those numbers through the data set yet. Um, but the difference has been in the turnovers and chaos created. Nobody does that better than the Bombers who have an absurd plus 15 turnover ratio. It's not all on the defense, though. Zach Caleros has remained healthy, knock on wood, and he's been very consistent and efficient. Uh, not that the run game hasn't been a big factor, too, but Caleros has basically played mistake-free football with very few turnovers to speak of and an 11% explosive pass percentage. That's tops in the league. This offense didn't look spectacular through three games, but since Harris returned to the lineup, uh, they've really ticked upwards, and overall this is a team I expect to be favored in pretty well every game from here on out. Going over on their 8.5 win total, I, I guess I wouldn't say it's an absolute lock quite yet. They they don't play Ottawa a single time this year, so there's there's no, no freebies, uh, and I, I do anticipate some negative regression in the turnover department, but that said, it would, it would likely take some significant injuries to keep them from putting together a, a very modest three and four record the rest of the way, and, and that's all it would take to be over on that eight and a half. After they pulled out the late game come from behind win in BC last week, I think you'd have to put the riders into the winner's category so far. Five and two on the season now, and both those losses are to the Bombers. That means the Riders' chances of repeating as regular season Western Division champs is a little slim with the tiebreaker lost, but that win over the Lions did put them firmly into second place, and with that tiebreaker now secured, an 8-6 and six record I think would probably be enough to see them host a playoff game in late November. 
Uh, it's been a, a little up and down for this team to get to this point, even within games, going right back to the season opener where they almost blew that 28-point lead. But ultimately, they found a way to beat everyone outside of Winnipeg. And looking at their offensive metrics, uh, it's been a pretty steady tandem of, of Cody Fajardo and William Powell. That has them near the top of the league in overall offensive efficiency, which you know is somewhat interesting given that they've been essentially shut out in the second half three times. At four and three against the spread, they've been decent to bet on so far, and the market uh, seems to have this team pegged reasonably well. I, I don't remember uh, seeing a whole lot of big movement on their numbers so far. They're heading into three games in a row against Calgary. Four out of five on the road now, but they, they are done playing Winnipeg, BC, and Toronto, so you've got to think the over is pretty likely to cash on their seven and a half preseason total with their next six games coming against teams with losing records. Given the erosion of personnel over the last two off-seasons, particularly on the offensive line, this team has surprised me a little bit with a 5-2 and two mark. I was on the under 7.5 for their win total. Sorry, a little technical difficulties there. As, as I was saying about the Riders, um, you know, this team has surprised me a bit getting to 5-2 and two here. I, I was on the, the under 7.5 for their win total, that ticket probably died in the waning moments at BC place last Friday, but it's never over until it's over in the, in the CFL. So you never know the Toronto Argonauts. Uh, I, I would give them a, a passing grade so far without hesitation. They come out of a fairly difficult first half schedule at four and three, all three of their games uh, against Winnipeg and Saskatchewan are off the table now. And with both Nick Arbuckle and McLeod Bethel Thompson looking capable of leading the offense, there's no reason at this point to think Toronto's uh, going to be any worse than a 500 playoff team, and, and they should battle for first place in the Eastern Division. The running game's been a, a real revelation for this club so far, and above all else, I, I think that has been the biggest factor in their success so far. Overall, the tandem of John White and DJ Foster has propelled them to a 56% success rate in that category. That's second only to the Alouettes, and they've, they've hit it over a 60% clip in, in four of the last five games. This has made life easier for the rest of the offense, and if they can cut down on the turnovers, they've, they've really got a chance to be among the league's best. As that's the, the only real criticism. Uh, nine fumbles is terrible, and uh, Nick Harbuckle has thrown some untimely picks, but the fact that the Argos have managed to overcome that for the most part uh, bodes well. Defensively, this team lost several key guys in training camp for extended periods of time, but in spite of that, they've managed to keep their heads above water. They've, they've been carved up along the ground. Uh, they, they do have the league's worst run defense, but the problems in the secondary that plagued them over the last couple of seasons seem to be a, a thing of the past. They've got a pretty solid uh, 8% explosive pass rate defense, uh, and given that several starters in their front seven have missed uh, all or most of the games this season, that, that bad run defense is something that it might be corrected by simply getting some of those guys back into the lineup in the second half of the year. Drake Nevis, uh, he's been practicing, you know, and that's a, that's a big presence in the interior of the defensive line that would, would certainly help stopping the run. Um, the six and a half uh, was their preseason win total. That is is tracking strongly towards the over here. That's helped by the fact that they do still have two games remaining against Ottawa. I was quite bullish on that over, so fingers crossed that the Argos can take care of business there. 
Hamilton hasn't lived up to lofty preseason expectations, but they have managed to salvage a season that was looking like it had the potential to go off the rails after two dreadful games to open the year. And at four and three now, I, I think there were probably a few sighs of relief around Steeltown these last couple weeks. The offensive line in, in particular, and the, the offense as a whole in general, they've been flat out awful pretty much since day one. So the fact that the Ticats find themselves tied for top spot in the division right now is a huge credit to their defense. And I, I still feel as though this defense isn't getting the credit they deserve. They've been right up there with the Blue Bombers in terms of overall effectiveness. They they don't give up big plays and they've, they've found the end zone several times, which is important when your offense has also only found the end zone several times. Uh, Frankie Williams, he's got a couple of those touchdowns. Uh, don't forget about the return game. He's He's been stellar there. I think he, he's run a kick or two back. Um, the good news for that offense is the Brandon Banks and Jeremiah Masoli appear to be returning to full health. And, you know, Dane Evans is, is still a ways away. Um, but maybe most important of all, Braylon Addison is close to getting back in the lineup. He's He's been out all season, and if he can step back in and play anywhere close to the way he was playing in 2019, you know, they'll be adding an all-star caliber receiver who can also take the ball out of the backfield. Hamilton's uh, East-West style of play calling has is, is not been able to repeat that success it had in 2019, but getting Addison back uh, would, would get them a whole lot closer to, to being back on track. I, I still think the porous offensive line is, is going to hold this team back some weeks, but if the defense and special teams can remain in their present form, they, they just might be able to overcome that. Uh, I was pretty concerned about what I'd seen out of this group through two weeks. And, and you add in that they've they've had to turn to their third string quarterback for the last two starts. Uh, they, they really had the potential to dig themselves into a hole here. Um, perhaps a blessing in disguise, maybe, that those first two games came on the road in, in Winnipeg and Saskatchewan anyway. And they, they caught Calgary and Ottawa when David Watford had to come in for the injured Evans and Masoli. But in, in any case, they deserve credit for not folding up the tent with all these injuries they've had. And, and this will be a team to look out for in the second half of the year. If you had the under on their win total of 10, I, I don't think you need to start sweating. I really doubt they go six and one the rest of the way. But, you know, eight or nine wins is, is back on the table here. And that's that's not something that appeared to be likely three weeks into the year. Hamilton's been the team to dig in and find ways to win. Uh, Montreal's been the team that's just found ways to lose. Uh, for a roster that boasts the top running game in the CFL, uh, just about the most explosive passing offense, and has been freakishly healthy with almost no injuries at all, sitting at 2-4 and four has to be seen as a, a tremendous disappointment. Uh, William Stanback has simply run over opposing defenses so far. A ridiculous 64% success rate for this running game. 20% explosive run percentage, that's almost unheard of. And all told, 53% of offensive snaps that weren't quarterback sneaks have picked up at least 10 yards. Uh, most most of the teams in the, the league are, are sitting around 43 to 46% in that category for perspective. Uh, special teams have been very good for Montreal as well. So how, how's this team at two and four? Well, the defense hasn't been very good so far. Uh, they, they've they've done a great job generating pressure on the opposing quarterback, but not a lot else. And now if you're only going to do one thing well, getting after the quarterback is probably the best thing you can do. 
sacks are huge in three down football and it's it's almost an instant drive killer so you've you know if you can average close to three per game like the owls have that's three drives snuffed out right off the hop there but uh you know where they've killed themselves is penalties um you know, this is this is to my eye, and the the numbers, of course, support this as well. The the most undisciplined team in the CFL. You know, in terms of the number of penalties uh, Montreal has taken, uh, you know, they're they're not that far from the league average. But uh, in terms of the yardage on average, they're being hit with uh, over ten yards per called penalty, which uh, tells you that's a significant number of uh, easily avoidable roughing calls in there. And uh, you know, they've they've also taken a, a fair amount of PI calls. The, the other thing, uh, of course, is the decision-making from Vernon Adams. Uh, you know, he, he hasn't thrown a ton of picks. One per game isn't terrible when you're you're offsetting that with a high explosive pass percentage, but the timing and the location on the field for several of these turnovers really couldn't have been worse. You know, even, even going back to last week's game, 45 seconds uh, before half, and, you know, you get picked off at midfield. Toronto turned that into a, a late seven points and the BC game the week before, you know, picked off in the Lions red zone early in that game to take points off the board. You, you know, it's, it's not a stretch of the imagination to figure Montreal could probably be five and one on the year. If, if you just erased three specific turnovers, um, you know, but here they are at two and four and at, at risk of losing touch with Hamilton and, and Toronto, if they, they can't find a way to win this weekend in Hamilton, you know, more positively, though, if, if Adams can clean up the turnovers and, and this, this roster manages to remain this healthy, uh, you know, they can hang with anybody in this league. And, you know, well, let's be honest, they've, they've got Ottawa on the schedule three more times. Uh, you know, in, in spite of what we did see, see in, on Tuesday out of Ottawa, I, you know, I, I still think they're, they're probably going to be an easy mark uh, most weeks here. Um, so I, I still believe the potential is there for Montreal to go seven and seven. Um, I believe their preseason win total was six and a half. Um, so, you know, in spite of sitting at two and four, I, I think that one could probably still go, go either way due to the friendly schedule and, you know, having a true workhorse power running back and stand back, uh, that, that is going to be important as the, the weather starts to turn here fairly soon. Uh, the, the BC Lions are, are a team that has marginally exceeded market expectations, sitting four and three and comfortably in third place in the Western Division. Probably more than any other team so far, the, the Lions have come as advertised. We knew this team had the potential to be an elite passing offense with Mike Riley throwing to a, a deep group of receivers. Lucky Whitehead's been a, a big time difference maker with the, the speed he brings to an offense. You know, we saw that again last week when he, he turned a routine swing pass into a 47-yard touchdown scamper. And this team has been able to pick up chunks of yardage through the air consistently. You know, they are the most pass-happy team in the CFL. Going to the air on 76% of their snaps. But when you gain 10-plus yards on 35% of your attempts, you know, that's not a bad idea. The other area of strength coming into the year appeared to be the defensive secondary. And these guys have been very good. They, they lead the league in interceptions right now. Uh, they're right at the top in terms of explosive pass defense, and particularly in the, the game of Montreal two weeks ago, these, these guys really did come up big. Uh, they, they, in fact, tied a CFL record for most pass knockdowns in a single game in that one. So that's that's the good with BC, and, and considering their preseason win total was set at just five wins, uh, you know that, that on its own should, should be enough to, to see the overcash. Um, 
The the bad with BC is is plain and simply their run game, which has been flat out terrible. Uh, week two at Calgary remains the only game all year where this team's turned in a success rate above 40% on the ground, and, and things don't appear to be improving in this department. Shaq Cooper hasn't been able to seize on the opportunity to be the feature back, and, and James Butler, you know, he was injured for a few games, so we'll, we will maybe see what we get the next couple weeks uh, with him presumptively at full health, but, uh, you know, he really hasn't done anything much either. I, I do still think BC is going to be a playoff team, but by, by virtue of losing two games to Saskatchewan, it's hard to envision them climbing any higher than third place and, unless they, they really got hot down the stretch here. And what that means is uh, their, their probable path to the Grey Cup leads through Regina and Winnipeg in late November and, and early December with the season going two weeks later than normal. And you know, when you're a team that depends as heavily on the vertical passing game as, as BC and it doesn't have much of a run game, uh, the winter weather on the prairies uh, threatens to be your undoing you know, a season never comes down to one game, but you're letting that one slip away against Saskatchewan last week really hurts when you consider the long-term ramifications. Calgary Stampeders are still hanging around on the fringes of the playoff race. They're not quite dead yet at two and five, but you're starting to get the feeling that it might just not be their year after so many seasons at or near the top of the league standings. Uh, I think a bit of a step back was inevitable with the number of good players that have been recruited over the years only to leave as free agents and strengthen other teams. But I, I, I think it's surprising that the poor play from the quarterback position has been the predominant limiting factor for them in, in the first half of the year. We saw Jake Mayer come in and relieve Bo Levi Mitchell and Hamilton two weeks ago. I, I think there's an argument to be made that Dave Dickinson waited too long in that game to make that move. You know, Mayer looked pretty good in his first three CFL starts. The the passing game ran at a respectable 51% success rate with him at the helm. And one of those games was on the road in Winnipeg. Uh, you know, a game game they lost when Rene Paradis's would-be game-winning field goal came up a yard short. Um, under Mitchell, the contrast is rather stark. They've, they've ran it around a 40% success rate passing. And, you know, he's thrown seven interceptions in less than four full games. Yeah, it's, it's never an easy decision to pull a, a quarterback that you've won multiple Grey Cups with. There's There's been no indication whatsoever that, that he won't remain the starter against Saskatchewan this week. But I, I really think Dave Dickinson uh, is doing this this team a disservice at this point. Um, you know, Bo Levi's coming off a broken leg. You, you know, even though he was back on the field less than a month after exiting, you know, it's it's still a broken leg. And these these last two starts have been terrible, you know, whether it's the ill effects of that or, or something else. I mean, uh, you can't argue with these results. Um, you know, the other, the other disappointment in recent weeks, I think, too, has to be the running game. Uh, un- underutilized and generally ineffective has been the story for Kadeem Carey lately. You do have to make good on your opportunities, but it's also tough to ask your running back to make hay for you when he's only seen the ball on half your possessions. Uh, the, the defense was probably a bigger question mark coming into the season than the offense, but they've been all right for the most part. The, the secondary, they're still probably giving up too many deep balls. That's hurt them, but the defensive line's been very good of late, and uh, that, that's helping them get off the field. The Labor Day loss to Edmonton's really been their, their only poor game of the year, I, I would say. Um, Preseason win total for this team was set at seven. Uh, that got bet up to seven and a half. Obviously, the market liking that over, but unfortunately, that looks like one the books will be cashing in on. 
The schedule has them playing the Riders three times in the next four weeks, along with a couple more against BC. So Calgary does still control their own destiny in, in terms of playing a bunch of games against the two teams they're trying to hunt down for a playoff spot. But they've they put themselves into a position where they probably need to win four out of those five to make the playoffs here. Uh, you know, it does depend on the crossover situation as well, which we can't rule out yet. But uh, you know, either way, an, an uphill battle for the Stampeders now, and I just don't see Bowley. Levi Mitchell being the guy to lead them up the hill and, unless his game uh, takes a, a 180 in a hurry here. Uh, so, you know, rounding things out, we have two teams that have pretty clearly emerged from the pack and not in a good way. Those teams are, of course, the Edmonton Elks and the Ottawa Red Blacks. We knew coming into the year that Ottawa was going to be terrible, and as crazy as this sounds, at, at two and five, they've they've actually exceeded expectations strictly from a, a win loss perspective. Given that a a paltry three and a half wins was all the market was projecting them for coming in, um, but but those wins have have come at the expense of the Elks, who are are likewise a two and five football team now. And and while the the first game of the year can be Chalked up to early season randomness with a you know a hundred yard pick six turning into a uh, turning a near certain Edmonton victory into a loss uh, there, um, but there's there's little explanation to be offered for the the thirty four twenty four Red Blacks victory we witnessed the other day. You know this Ottawa team came into that game having not scored an offensive touchdown in nearly two games, and they also came in with two quarterbacks who had never even dressed for a CFL game. So for them to move the ball consistently and, and in sizable chunks with Caleb Evans in his first CFL game playing behind a, an offensive line that had been Swiss cheese in recent weeks, uh, that really was shocking to see. And the, the Elks managed to come back from a, an 18-day COVID vacation and, and win in Calgary on Labor Day, and they managed to hang in there with the Bombers last week with Taylor Cornelius making his first CFL start. Um you know, overall, their defense had had ranged from average to very good. And even with a question mark at the quarterback position, this just did not project to be a game they were going to get thoroughly beaten in by an opponent who's been dominated by every other team they face this year. The, the Elks were already on thin ice to make the playoffs, given their, their record combined with the end-of-season scheduling disaster caused by the cancelled game that will see them play three games in seven days in the you know, the result on Tuesday has, has all but certainly sealed their fate in 2021. Uh, this this was another team that came in with a, a preseason win total that the market hit hard in one direction. The, the five and a half total seeing over money early and often. You know, unfortunately for betters, there's almost no way this, this team sees six wins. I, I don't think with four games yet to come against Winnipeg and Saskatchewan, plus two games to close out the year that will both be played on two days rest. You know, given that they they looked like a team that that more or less quit on their coaching staff on Tuesday, it's it's hard to envision uh, too many more positive results for this crew the rest of the way. You know, for the Red Blacks, perhaps uh, Caleb Evans is going to be the injection of life into this offense that they've been searching for. I, I think we probably need to see a game against an opponent that actually gets off the bus before making any serious projections. But when you've played the way the Red Blacks have this year, uh, especially on the offensive side of the ball, you'll, you'll take uh, on all the positives and optimism you can get. And well, I don't think there's any serious chance of this team making a push towards a playoff spot. You you can't completely ignore the fact that there are four two-win teams in the CFL right now, and one of them has to make the playoffs. 
you know, just that knowledge alone is probably enough to at least sharpen the focus a little bit. And I, I think if they'd they'd suffered another bad loss on Tuesday, you'd have probably seen guys start to check out mentally. So good good on Caleb Evans for coming in and extending the season for them in, in terms of meaningful football for at least a couple more weeks here. Uh, Ottawa plays Montreal twice in the next three games. I'm I'm still erring on the side of Montreal using that as the springboard to get their season back on track. But this is the CFL, and you never say never. A, a theoretical Ottawa win on Thanksgiving Monday would uh, suddenly make things very interesting out east. Okay, that completes the tour around the league uh, at the, the halfway point here. I'm not going to have time for deep dives on all three games this weekend, unfortunately, but uh, I will dedicate a few minutes here to the Friday night clash between the Bombers and the Lions. This game is opened with the Bombers as very slight one to one and a half point favorites with a total of 52 and a half as of this moment. Winnipeg's coming in off a bye week, and this is now a team that is uh, pretty much fully healthy now after navigating through a, a decent amount of injuries early in the season. Linebackers Kyrie Wilson and rookie John Trell Rockmore, who was an opening day starter for them, they're both back in action now, and Stephen Richardson will return to the interior of a defensive line that certainly didn't need an upgrade, but nonetheless appears to be getting one, or at, at the worst, another very capable guy to put into the rotation, and, and they'll be at Full strength along the offensive line as well, uh, to the point that Jeff Gray, who is uh, no slouch, is, is actually listed as the first backup now. Janarian Grant uh, also going to be back in the fold as well. He should add some pop to the return game. BC, on the other hand, has taken a bit of a hit coming in with a few injuries occurring on the defensive side of the ball. Most importantly, former bomber Marcus Sales, who they'd been playing as a coverage linebacker uh, to pretty good effect, uh, is going to be out for this one, as are fellow defensive backs Victor Gamboa and Isaac Guzlak-Messam. Those guys aren't exactly impact players, but this does leave the Lions with absolutely no depth in their secondary, so they, they could be in a real tough spot should anyone else go down on Friday night. Chris Rainey is also now on the injured list, so there goes one of the league's more reliable return men just when uh, the opponent is getting theirs back. At this point in the season, we have a pretty good idea what these teams are offering, so an, an edge might not be quite as easy to come by, but I, I do think these injuries make the Bombers a pretty attractive play here. This is without a doubt the strongest roster they'll field this year. They've had an extra week to prepare, and they match up quite well here. Uh, we know Andrew Harris is going to be given every opportunity to establish the run, and the Lions' defensive front has not been very good at stopping the ground game uh, against anyone besides Ottawa so far. You've got a fully healthy offensive line providing the push and the protection, and now you've got a real hole to go after on the strong side with sales out for the Lions. Looks like uh, Anthony Chaffee's going to slide down to that spot, but that's also one less veteran in, in the backfield by virtue of that move. Um, I think Winnipeg's going to be able to control this game along the ground, and if BC has to start cheating personnel forward, uh, Zach Kalaros has shown himself more than capable of dropping in uh, deep throws to a variety of receivers. As far as the BC offense is concerned, we know we're probably not going to see much running, and we know Winnipeg's going to have four monsters up front trying to blow up the backfield on every snap. 
Mike Riley has to drop back 40 times in this game. I don't think this is going to go particularly well. If they can't get anything out of James Butler along the ground, the Lions have to figure out a way to at least keep Winnipeg honest with some quick passes out of the backfield or along the line of scrimmage. Javon Katoy is having a nice season so far, and Brian Burnham's been solid as usual, but Riley just isn't going to have the time uh, to wait for those 15-yard routes to develop uh, like in, in some of these previous games, and I would anticipate Lucky Whitehead featuring very prominently, and we'll likely see a few more screens and outs than we're used to from the Lions. At the end of the day, though, uh, you know, Winnipeg just has too many weapons here on both sides of the ball. I, I think this, this is going to be a very entertaining game between two solid football teams. I, I don't think the Bombers go into BC Place and dominate the ball game, but Minus one is the, the type of line I'd have expected to see a few weeks back when Winnipeg was still without a few key guys, uh, you know, with all of them back now. I do think this game is somewhat mispriced. You know, minus three, three and a half even is, is about what I would have expected here. So I, I do think there's some value to be had. And personally, anytime a spread is at minus one or less, I prefer to pay the dime and take the money line. That's at minus 120 for the Bombers right now. We do see games land with a, a one-point margin of victory on average about five or six times per season. Something to keep in mind. As far as the total goes, I, I do like the under here. I, I understand why this is up at 52.5. One of, if uh, if not the highest total we've we've seen all season, actually. Uh, you know, but you've got two elite quarterbacks going at it inside the dome where Weather will not play a factor, but as I mentioned, I do expect Winnipeg to use Andrew Harris quite often. That's going to chew up some clock. And if the Bombers do indeed have a lead in the latter stages, uh, this is an offense that can and, and often will grind the clock down. I, I don't think BC is going to you know, be completely shut down on offense by any means, but Mike Riley is, is likely going to be either sacked or flushed from the pocket and, and forced to take off himself uh, you know, more often than, than in previous games here. And, uh, you know, that, that keeps the clock moving, you know, negative plays. Uh, the, both those factors contribute strongly to an under. Um, so for, for this week's best bet, I'll, I'll go with Winnipeg on the money line. I, I think they get it done. And uh, since I'm I'm also on the, on the under here, let's hope they play nice and uh, pull out that victory with uh, less than 30 points themselves. All right, that's going to do it for another episode of Third Down Gamble. Thanks again to everyone for listening. I'll keep putting these out as time permits. So for now, go enjoy another great weekend of CFL football, and hopefully the Bombers can get us off on the right foot financially on, on Friday night. Take care.